So I want to say thanks to Casey. Uh, preaching, preaching two weeks in a row is a big deal, especially when you're a full-time somewhere else. And so um, I just want to show you how, how I was suffering for Jesus while, while I was gone. So this was my, my view two weeks ago. This is Estes Park, Colorado. And so we would look out, we would walk down and, and have our meetings, and, and this is what we would see all the time. There was snow. It actually snowed two and a half inches the last night we were there. Big, fat, juicy snow. You remember Snowpocalypse, the first one? Big, fat, juicy snow. We had that. So what's really funny is, you know, there's people from Haiti, there's people from Jamaica, there's people from Belize, Guatemala, and they're, they're just freaking out. They don't have enough clothes. You know, they're pilot, they're wearing blankets when they're going places and... It was, it was the best meetings that I've been to. I've been to several of their uh, conferences, and this was by far the best because two years ago, we had to cancel because of COVID. Two years, uh, in 2019, Praying Pelican sent 12,500 missionaries all over the world helping to build up, assist, and encourage the local church. 2020, we sent about 600 because of COVID. And then last year we had our meetings and we had to be distant. So we're in this auditorium that seats about four or 500 and there's 70 of us in there and we have to wear masks and we have to be distance. And, and y'all know that's just, you, you can't really worship like that. So this year we had over 300. We had all of the full-time staff. We had all of the part-timers that they call them seasonal staff. And it was spectacular. God moved. We're so excited. We're back up to about 10,800 participants that are going around the world. Most of that is domestic now because of COVID it changed things, but, but we have a goal. We have a dream of, of something called PPM 365, Praying Pelican Missions 365, and that's where there is something going on in all of our partner locations 365 days a year, and it, and it has to do with the pastor of those churches. We want to make sure the pastor is physically, spiritually, emotionally healthy, and so we're, we're pouring into that through Praying Pelican, and, uh, and so Haiti and... Um, Let's see, where's the other one? Haiti and Guatemala and, and Kenya are the first um, places that have started PPM 365. There's actually a group of people in Kenya right now meeting with pastors and encouraging them. We're excited about that. But So that was, that was two weeks ago. We were at the meetings and uh, just incredible time. Came out of there really pumped up. I got to sit in front of Pastor Harris from Mount Olive Baptist Church that we're going to in just a few weeks. It was so cool. He'd never been to one. He, was, he just loved the, the meetings and we, we schemed about what we're going to do. Here's what he decided. He decided while I'm sitting in front of him, he decides I need to preach when we're down there on June 10th. Uh, so June 12th, I'm preaching. Dude had never heard me preach before. And I thought, man, that is stepping out, right? <clears throat> so anyway, he asked me if I'd preach. And then here's, here's the really cool thing. On July 31st, that's the fifth Sunday in July, they're loading up a bus and Mount Olive is coming here and Pastor Harris is going <laughs> to preach in our church. And, and I'm just going to tell you, you need to eat some breakfast and put on your big boy pants and your big boy, big girl pants and come ready because he's going to bring it. The dude can preach. Um, loved getting to hang out with him, but they'll be here on July 31st. All right, so that was two weeks ago. Last week, we were suffering for Jesus, and this was actually our view from our balcony. We're on the back of the ship, and uh, Janie, loves, Janie loves the sunlight, so we get this balcony where she can have sun, and it's really funny because she goes out. She wants to come back from a cruise brown as a nut. I want to come back from a cruise never having seen daylight, right? So I'm sitting inside in the air conditioning reading my book. She's sitting outside either stitching, knitting, sewing, whatever she's doing, or reading her book, and, and we have a great time and do whatever we want. So... Anyway, I just wanted you to know that we didn't plan that on purpose. It's because of COVID that we had to move our, our crews. And, and so anyway, glad to be back. So 
today I was, I was praying about what to, to speak to you, and, and I just I, I, this is what I came across and, and what I was thinking of. I grew up in, in what's called a fundamental Baptist church. Now, Casey and I joke about that because Casey understands that very well what a fundamental Baptist church is. Fundamental Baptist church is rules, and you follow the rules. And the better you follow the rules, the more the people like you. The more rules you follow, the more spiritual you are. And I remember conversations around our table about um, women wearing pants, because that's so important. They couldn't wear pants in that church. I remember them saying men couldn't have long hair. I'm, I'm good in that department. But they also said men couldn't have facial hair. And I decided to grow some just for this service. Not really. Janie said I could. And I said, what? So, I, so here we go. <clears throat> um, I thought I understood what religion looked like because I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church, but I didn't until I went to Israel. So several years ago, Janie and I went to Israel with my brothers and their spouses, and then a couple years ago, I was actually in Israel when the world shut down on March 13th, 2020, trying to get our our flight out, and by the grace of God, we got out of Israel. I didn't have to quarantine for two weeks. Um, And and when you go to Israel, you're going to see unbelievable religious traditions. And it's what Jesus fought. If you watch the, the Chosen series, you've seen you know, how he deals with the Pharisees. There's just a lot of ritual. So one of the things that stunned me when we were in Israel was we saw what they call the ultra-Orthodox Jews. And here's a picture of, uh, one picture of ultra-Orthodox Jews. Um, notice the hat and notice the curly cues on the side. Now, I could not be. I couldn't follow this rabbi because it depends on which rabbi you have, which hat you wear. So this was a particular rabbi, and the little, um, the little curly cues on the side, that's part of it. And they are dead serious about this. And, you, and in order to be a part of this rabbi's um, synagogue, you have to dress the part and act the part. And so they have their little prayer books. Whenever you go around Israel, all the holy sites, They'll be, they'll be reciting their prayers. And they do this, they move back and forth because it helps them memorize, it helps them concentrate. And when you're walking around, they don't even notice you. They're just praying, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. What they're praying, I don't know. I'm not sure they know what they're praying, but they're praying, right? Here's another picture, and this, is, this has got several different, notice that hat, right? All right, so, so this is a different rabbi. And then you got the guys with just the yarmulkes on. And, and the point I'm trying to make is, is religion has been going on long before the United States was ever born, long before New Life Community Church was ever born, and, and religion is probably not going away. And so then I have one picture of the Temple Mount, and I want you just to notice this. Okay, see, you, you've seen the Dome of the Rock. That's that gold thing. So the Muslims believe that Abraham uh, offered, um, what was it, well, not Isaac, um, Ishmael. And so what they did when they took over the Temple Mount, they built the Dome of the Rock, where they say Abraham offered Ishmael. Now, both Jews and, and Muslims cannot be right because they have a different founder. Abraham's the founder, but they, they, then they base it on the, the son. We believe, Jews believe, Christians believe, that, that uh, our faith goes back to Abraham offering Isaac, and God said that's an acceptable offering. He puts the, puts the ram in and, and starts this whole sacrificial system. But right there, you'll see the Dome of the Rock. They believe that's where Abraham uh, offered Ishmael, and they also believe that's where Solomon's temple was, and the Holy of Holies was there. They did it on purpose. They're thumbing their nose at Christians and at Jews. And then on the left side over there, that's the southern wall, there's actually a mosque. So people go up and they, they go to temple there. They go to a synagogue or they go to their, their worship services there. 
Now, the, the ultra-Orthodox, they're actually called the Hasidic Jews. And, and I got to thinking, the Hasidic Jews, are, they've argued over hats and hairstyles for years and years and years. But I think we do that in the, in the American church as well. And, and if we're really honest, we have to say that the history of religion in the world is really pretty embarrassing, right? During, for, example, for example, during the Spanish Inquisition... If you offered the wrong type of, of Lord's Supper wafer, you could be tortured for that. I'm like, dude, we buy a dollar loaf of French bread from Walmart and we rip it up into pieces. We, I would suffer torture for that in the Spanish Inquisition. Because Jesus said, this is my body, this bread is broken for you. It didn't matter what kind of wafer it was, but people will argue over it. And, and you've heard the term, if God wills, if Allah wills, that has been used to, to advance all kinds of kingdoms. People have sought power and wealth and glory in the name of religion. But before we look real harshly at others, let me ask you a question today, and this question is going to be up on the screen. Have you ever, I think I put that on there, did I not? Okay. Have you ever tried to use God for your glory? Let me ask it again. Have you ever tried to use God for your glory? And before you answer, let me, just, let me just give you a couple of scenarios. Have you ever said, no matter what team you root for, have you ever prayed, oh God, let my team be your team just for today? Whether it's the Super Bowl or the playoffs or whatever. Or if your kid is one of those kids that cannot hit the ball, Oh, God, if one of the other team members has to trip so that my son gets on base, please let them trip. I don't want them to hurt. I just want my kid to get on base once during this season. I'm guessing that at some point in your life you have prayed a selfish prayer. Yes? And I'm guessing whether you've verbalized this or not, you have, you have said, what formula do I have to use to get God to do what I want him to do? When I was in college... This is embarrassing to admit, but when I was in college, I actually thought that if I was worshiping in my car while I was speeding, God would protect me from getting a speeding ticket. I'm not making this up. I was coming back from my best friend's house in Abilene. He went to Hardin-Simmons University, so I'd seen him, and I was rushing. I was always late, so I was rushing to get back to Waco, to Baylor, and, and I, was, I had just memorized a verse, Psalm 34 Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so the desire of my heart, I was delighting in the Lord by singing my lungs out. I was worshiping. And if you know anything, this was like 1986, and there wasn't good worship music back then. I mean, this was, this was rough stuff, but I was worshiping, and I was delighting in the Lord, and the desire of my heart was not to get pulled over for speeding. And I got pulled over for speeding. Neither God nor that friendly highway patrolman cared that I was delighting in the Lord by worshiping. I got a speeding ticket. Now, I want you to be honest today, and I want you to, to ask yourself, have you ever thought, and, and, and I don't think many of us would admit this, certainly not in a group this size, maybe in a, maybe in a small group where we've been together a long time, have you ever thought God owes me because I go to church regularly? God owes me because I read my Bible a lot. Or God owes me because I listen to Christian music, even bad Christian music. Have you ever gotten mad at God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do when you wanted him to do it? Yes? Yes. 
In a nutshell, that's religion. Wanting God to do what you want him to do when you want him to do it. And since religion isn't going away, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about it for this week and next week. As long as there's some things you and I cannot accomplish on our own, there's going to be religion. And I just want to tell you right now, religion doesn't work. I want you to say that out loud. Religion doesn't work. One more time. Religion doesn't work. Now, if we're honest today, most of us would say we really don't even care about religion. Here's what we want to know. Is there a God? Does he know my name? And does he answer my prayers? That's what we really want to know. So if, if you can convince me there's a God, he knows who I am and he answers prayer, I'll wear a hat or a sash or stand on one foot and hop around. I'll do whatever I got to do to get that God's attention. If you can assure me that when I have a sick child, he'll listen. Or when I don't have enough money and I desperately need a job, he'll provide a job. Or when my kid is sick or when my marriage is suffering, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a funny hat. If you, can, if you can prove to me that, that there's a God who listens, I just want to know, is God real and does he care about me? Because here's the thing. When good things happen, you get an unexpected raise. Um, you get the dream date. You get the dream job. No one goes home when that stuff happens and goes, why is this happening to me? Why do I get a raise? Why do I get a good car? No, what do we do? We think, it's about time. Right? Am I, am I meddling today? I think I've gone over into meddling. That's in the fundamental Baptist church. The preacher would get up and announce, I'm, I'm not preaching today. I'm meddling. I'm meddling today. Because when bad stuff happens, what do we do? Why? Why? Why is this happening to me, God? And I think at the, at the heart of that question is we desperately want to know that our pain has a reason. At least I do. And I want you to know that if you are asking today, why are things happening to me? If you're asking God that, you're very, very close to where God wants you to be. And I want you to realize that God's not afraid of your questions. He wants you to ask questions. But when you ask the question, God, why is this happening to me? I want you to ask God to show you where he's at work in the world. And I want you to pay attention to where he's at work and then join him. What I'm asking you to do today is to stop looking for God in religion. Has anybody done that? It's on your listening guide. Stop looking for God in religion. Because if you keep looking there, here's my promise to you. If you look for God in religion, you will eventually walk away because religion doesn't work. And what you'll say is religion doesn't seem to be working for me. And that's the problem with religion, isn't it? We want it to work for us, not in us. But I was, I was actually sitting on, on, in, in our room. Uh, we watched worship last week in our, in our um, on the cruise ship in our room, and it buffered a little bit, and so uh, we heard Casey doing his uh, his mom voice, and and you know saying, "You better listen to me, or an eagle's gonna scratch your eyes out," or whatever whatever that was. Um, <coughs> and and I was studying this, and uh, and I got to thinking. I I think religion is a pyramid scheme, and only the people at the top benefit from religion. Religion, religion was not built for the masses. It was built for the top. 
So the bottom line is one of the main reasons that we lose our religion and our faith dies is that we tend to look for God in all the wrong places, in all the wrong people, in all the wrong circumstances. So let me just ask, has anybody done that? Have you looked for God in the wrong places, the wrong people, the wrong circumstances? Yes. And, and when you look at your life or the life of someone you love, is it possible that you or they lost their religion because they were looking for God in wrong places? I'm going to say yes. So today I want to talk to you about something we call a deconversion. A deconversion is when someone is wholeheartedly following one thing, believing one thing, and they completely change. And I want to talk to you about the, the deconversion of a guy named Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. Now, his Jewish name was Saul. His Greek name or Gentile name was Paul. And as I've studied his life, I think this dude would win the award for the most religious person in history. He was a radical Jew. He was the most Jewish Jew of his time. No one could come close to his credentials. If there had been a, an award for the top Jew, it would have been Paul or Saul, as he was known at that time. He would have won year after year until he died. You know, nobody else would even be in the running. He was a gold medal Jew. Now, as a gold medal Jew, he became concerned with this new group called the Way. Now, he would have called it a cult. And, and the way was based on, it came from Jesus saying in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so they started making fun of people saying, oh, you belong to the way. You think Jesus is the way. And so this, the Romans saw the, the Christianity as just a knockoff of the Jewish system. And so they really weren't concerned about it. Whenever they would come for trials, they would say, this has religious meaning. We don't give a rip about religious meaning. You handle that, you Jews. The Jews were incensed that, that somebody would equate Jesus Christ with their Messiah. But that's what he said. So Saul heard about the way, and he went on a personal mission to stamp out the way, to kill Christians. And he did it with the full support of of all the religious leaders. And so he became this ISIS-style terrorist, only he was out in the open trying to get rid of Christianity with the full blessing of his religious leaders. Now, along the way, <laughs> along the way, pun intended, Saul gets blinded, blinded by the light on the way to Damascus. And this has to be one of the most radical deconversion stories I've, I've ever heard. So Paul becomes a follower of Jesus, and um, he goes back to the temple in Jerusalem, and he starts telling people about Jesus. He's gone all over the place, and he's about to, he's about to get in a lot of trouble. He's about to have to go to Rome and appear before Caesar because he's a Christian. But he goes back to the temple, and he gets in trouble because he won't shut up about Jesus. They throw him out of the temple. They cause a riot, such a big deal, that, that he is arrested. So the gold medal Jews are are furious with him because they say he's diluting their religion. He's bringing non-Jewish people into the temple. And there's such a ruckus that the Romans have to come and arrest Paul. They think he's an Egyptian who, who did something. And, and Paul, Paul says, no, I don't walk like an Egyptian. Yeah, I heard. So I said, oh, my gosh. He says, in fact, I'm a Roman citizen, and this was a big deal. So they arrested a Roman citizen without proper notice, without a trial. They could be arrested themselves, the people, the, the guards, and they could die because they treated a Roman citizen the wrong way. And so this is, this is a big deal. So they decide to, to have some Jewish trials. The Romans can't figure out what's going on, so they have all these Jewish trials. And one of them is before Herod the Great's great-grandson. You remember Herod the Great? 
What was he known for? All of these fortresses? He's most known for the Christmas story. What did he do to all the baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two? He killed them. So Herod Agrippa is his great-grandson, and they said, hey, man, if anybody knows about the Jews, it's Herod Agrippa. He's the great-grandson of King Herod. And so they bring Paul in front of him, and he begins to tell his story. He tells his deconversion story of how he left the Jewish religion and became a follower of the way. And at the end of the story, this is what I want you to, to, to set you up for. At the end of the story, he's going to tell us the one thing that if you lose sight of, you will lose your religion you will walk away from your religion. But we got to start back when his name was Saul. So this is in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 and 10. Saul, he's talking to King Agrippa. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So he said, I wanted Christians dead. They said that they were following a dead Jesus. Now, he didn't, he didn't include the part about Jesus rising from the dead. They, they want to follow a resurrected Savior. Let them die too and go be with him. All he was doing was protecting his religion. He, he was protecting God. Look what he says in, in verse 11. Many a time I went from synagogue, one synagogue to another, to have them punished. Talking about Christians, the followers of the way. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. So how do you force someone to blaspheme? How do you force someone to go against what they say they believe? If you're a terrorist, you torture them. You threaten to kill them. This is what Saul the Jew did. He threatened to kill him. I will force you to blaspheme, to say you do not believe in Jesus. He says, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. I was the number one enemy of Jesus and his followers. Saul the bounty hunter. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus. Now notice the detail. This is the thing about Christianity you don't get in other religions. There are details that can be verified. On the way to Damascus, detail, with the authority and commission of the chief priests, about noon, there's a detail. King Agrippa, he's talking to King Agrippa. I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing all around me and my companions. He's like, everybody was there. They saw it. They heard it. Ask them if you don't believe me. And then look what he says. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic. There's another detail. Why would you add this detail if it's not the truth? A voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. <clears throat> so first of all, he's saying, why are you persecuting me? And you got to think about it. Who's, who's Saul persecuting? He's persecuting the church. And he's about to find out that this is Jesus talking to him. And Jesus so identifies with the body of Christ, the church, that if you hurt the church, you're persecuting Jesus. That ought to cause somebody to say, oh my goodness. I need to watch what I say about the church. I need to watch what I do. Because Jesus came to, to Saul and said, you're persecuting me when you persecute my people. Now, kicking against the goads, that's a creative way to say, dude, you're fighting a losing battle. Because a goad was this long stick. It was a very pointy stick. It was a very thick stick. And you used it to motivate your oxen or your donkey or whatever animal is not being motivated at the moment. And the, the animal, the dumb animal, will eventually go where you want because it says it's just not worth it. That pointy stick hurts. I'm assuming that's my translation of what the, the donkey is saying. Because eventually the donkey will move. And so Jesus is saying to Saul, you can, you can threaten and kill all of the Christians you want to, but you're fighting a losing battle. 
and you're, you're hurting me and persecuting me. You're kicking against the goads. You don't want to be a goad kicker. So Saul says, then I ask, who are you, Lord? Because he's confused. He's like, I'm defending God here. Don't you know that these people who are following Jesus need to be stamped out? You're telling me I'm wrong about religion? Look what happens. Then I ask, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. How would you like to be Saul when you meet Jesus face to face in a blinding light? And he says, don't be a goad kicker. Hey, Saul, you're a gold medal goad kicker. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, Saul is talking to, or Paul is talking to King Agrippa. And King, I, just use your imagination for a minute. King Agrippa is sitting there, and, and it tells us he came in with great pomp and circumstance. He also came in with his sister, Bernice, who I, we think was probably his queen, and there's just all kinds of weird stuff about that. But he's sitting there, and he's wanting, he's wanting to hear Paul's story, and he's going, wait, wait, wait. You're walking on a road, blinding light, and a voice from heaven. What were you smoking? Right? Come on. But Paul has repeated this story over and over and over, the details over and over and over again. Everyone in Jerusalem knew Paul used to be a Jew. Now he's a radical Christ follower. Everybody knew that he tortured and tried to make Christians blaspheme. So much so that when Saul comes back as Paul and he says, hey, can I come preach in your church? Can you imagine that? No. No. Close the door. Lock the door. Security. Security. Remove him from our property. Call the cops. They thought it was a trick when Saul came back as Paul. And he began preaching, and and now he's a Christ follower. This is causing all kinds of confusion. Now look what happens. So Jesus says to him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have prepared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. (laughs) There again, if you're making up the story, why would you choose this guy? Nobody's going to listen to him. He's a goad kicker, right? He's he's the one who kills Christians. Nobody's going to listen to him. God doesn't do things the way we do things. God says to him, Jesus says to him, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. So life's about to get bad, Paul. I'm sending you to open their eyes. I'm sending you to Jews and every other religious system on the planet to tell them they've got it wrong. They need to turn from darkness to light. They've been looking for God in all the wrong places and all the wrong people and all the wrong systems. Paul, I want you to tell them. And so here's what you're to tell them. You're to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Now, here's the thing. So that. Here, here's the one thing Paul is going to tell us. If you lose sight of this, you will lose sight of your religion. You'll walk away from the church. You'll walk away from God. And here it is. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God said to Saul, I want to Paul, I want you to go to religious people and you need to tell them, stop following rules and stop looking for forgiveness. You need forgiveness of sins. If you ever forgive that you need if you ever forget that you need forgiveness of sins, you will walk away from the church. You don't need a system, you need a savior. A system, well, we'll talk about that in a second. 
So if you want to have a faith that lasts, remember that you need to be, need forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> okay, so here's, here's really where I want you to, to lock in today and next week. <clears throat> the point of religion is to be holier than thou. The point of all the rules, following the rules, outwardly and not inwardly, this is what Jesus condemned over and over. It's what Paul condemned. I'm reading in Colossians in my personal devotional, and, and Paul is refuting false teachers that were in the church in Colossae just 20 to 30 years after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. False teaching is everywhere. He said, you don't need religion because the point of religion is to be holier than thou. The point of Christianity is that everyone needs forgiveness of sins. Not only am I not holier than thou, I'm probably worse than you are. That's what a Christian says. A true Christian says, a true Christian is looking at Jesus and not even looking at you. And a true Christian says, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. See, what God didn't say to the most religious guy on the planet was, hey, go tell everybody that I'm a good God and only good stuff will happen. Because isn't it true? What really, part of what really bothers you is that God is really, really good and a lot of stuff that happens in this world is really, really bad. Yes? When sin entered the world, the Bible tells us the world became broken, and it actually says that, that all of creation groans waiting for the day that Jesus Christ will come back and make everything right. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that he's going to come back and make everything right. And the thing that astonishes me the most, just this one little thing that I keep going back to over and over, I've been to the Dead Sea. I've floated in the Dead Sea. I can't float in regular water, right? In, in college, I almost flunked swimming my PE because I couldn't float because my teacher said everybody can float. I had to stay after class. I was a remedial floater. And so they would try to get me to float. I'm not making this up. So she, I, I kept, she relaxed. I'm like, I can't be any more relaxed. I'm boneless now. And she would let go and I would go to the bottom of the, so she calls all of her teachers over, right? And she's like, this guy can't float. And they're like, yeah, everybody can float. I mean, I'm, I'm just laying there on the bottom going, I'm not floating. And finally they said, we're going to pass you, but there's something wrong with you. I can't float. I can swim. I just can't float. Well, I went to the Dead Sea and I floated. You pull your feet up in the Dead Sea, it is the coolest thing ever. You almost can't get them back down. You're so buoyant. One, one dude, they really did. He couldn't get his feet down. So they have to carry him. They're dragging him across the water until he can get to a pole and they can get him back upright. He had to get in shallow enough water that he, anyway. So the Dead Sea, nothing grows in the Dead Sea, nothing. The scripture tells us that there's going to be a day when Jesus Christ restores the temple. That, that the water is going to flow from the base of the temple, from the, from the throne of God. And it's going to go out, and there are going to be trees. There are going to be people on the shores of the Dead Sea fishing because Jesus is going to restore it. That's remarkable to me. And, the, and all of creation is groaning for that day, longing for the day that the Savior is coming back. But today is not that day. Everybody here, if you have one ounce of integrity, you would admit that at some point in your life you've offended at least one other person and if you have any integrity, you've probably asked that person to forgive you, right? Everybody? Everybody's asked for forgiveness at least once? Hey, I'm, I was wrong. I need to ask for forgiveness. 
<clears throat> you've hurt somebody and you need to ask for forgiveness. We, we get that. And, and, and I'm very aware that I, I can't live up to your standards, and there's many times that I probably, I probably fail your standards. I know I fail my own standards. And if I can't live up to your standards, if I can't live up to my standards, what kind of arrogant person says I can live up to God's standards? Right? If we're just looking around in this room, there's some, there's some good people in this room. If we can't live up to one another's standards and if we need to ask for forgiveness from each other, how much more do we need to ask for forgiveness from a holy God? And that's where a lot of stumble is, is realizing that they're sinners. The message that God gave to perhaps the most religious man on the planet is you don't need a system, you need to be forgiven. And you all know this from experience. When you ask someone to forgive you and they forgive you, what happens? The relationship is restored. <clears throat> the point of the Bible is that what God wants for every human being is to be restored in relationship with him. So you don't need religion. You need to be forgiven of your sins. Because I, I just don't believe that, that there's a single non-Christian or anybody who claimed to be a Christian and then walked away from the faith. I don't think they say, you know, my deal is forgiveness. I just can't, I can't deal with forgiveness. What, what they do is they've been hurt or someone they love has been hurt by someone in the church. And what they desperately need is forgiveness. But they got their eyes on something else. See, the relationship is jacked up. Someone was hurt. Satan gets folks looking at relationships between people and not relationships between them and God. And so they forget, I need forgiveness of sins. When I remember I need forgiveness of sins, let me, there is not a thing Tammy Ward could do that would cause me not to forgive her because when I'm looking at the cross and I realize my sins put, her on, put, me, put him on the cross, then, then whatever, Tammy, I can forgive you because he forgave me. Where we get messed up is when I say, I will not forgive you. You walked away from what Jesus says you need more than anything else, the forgiveness of sins. And when I see that, then my relationship, so anything she does, if she comes to me, she doesn't even have to come to me. But if she comes to me and says, Doug, will you forgive me? Of course I forgive you. And you know what happens? Our relationship is restored. When you ask God to forgive you, that's when God has you at the place that he wants you to be. When you're humble and you say, will you forgive me? You're at the beginning point of a relationship, and that's the whole purpose of Christianity is relationship, not religion. Do you, do you understand why I'm hammering on religion? Because it distracts us from what we really need. A system will never save you. You need a savior. Because here's the deal. Here's the point. Religious systems were designed to control you. You think about it. You do this. I don't know why I'm going dead here. <clears throat> but God wants to restore you. See the difference? Religion, you fit into a box. Relationship, you don't. And the reason this is such a restoration makes relationship possible. God so badly wants to be in relationship with you that he sent his son to pay your sins, pay for your sins, so that the moment you say, will you forgive me, 
I forgive you because of what my son did. These batteries are dying, so we're about to get out of here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that, that you didn't come to start a religion. You came to seek a relationship. And God, help us walk out of these, these, this room today, outside these walls, and remember that forgiveness of sin is the greatest need of every person in the world. And if we'll just ask you to forgive us, not only can we be restored with you, you can make it possible for us to be restored with others. Teach us about restoration. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.